If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. If you are new with us today, we are finishing our study through the book of Revelation. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. (laughs) And Mitch said, Amen. As we jump into this last portion of Revelation, let's remind ourselves of a few verses from last week. In 21, verse 3, as John began to describe the eternal state, the new Jerusalem, the new creation, in 21, verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And then in chapter 22, verses 3 and 4, there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will no longer be any night and they will not have any need of the light of the lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and forever. God will dwell among them. They will see his face. Dr. Fanning at Dallas Seminary said this, more blessed than the lavish surroundings or abundant provision in the New Jerusalem will be the presence of the Lord God among his people. That's where all of history is headed for God's people, is to be with him forever and forever. And now we come to the last section of the book, often called the epilogue. I think there's at least three things for us. Let's begin with this one. Number one, get ready. And I'm picking up three times over in this final passage, Jesus speaks. If you have a red letter Bible, you see it there in verse seven. And behold, I am coming quickly. In verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Behold, behold, yes, I am coming quickly. It won't be long before all of God's purposes for history will be fulfilled. Nancy Guthrie says, three times he woos our attention away from all of our day-to-day concerns and all of our short-term ambitions and all of our short-sighted pursuits. You got any of those? Day-to-day concerns, short-term ambitions, short-sighted pursuits. Three times he woos our attention away from that toward what he intends for us to orient our lives around and toward his coming. I 
think it was Luther who said that the Christian ought to live like Jesus Christ died yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. And the whole doctrine seems absurd to 21st century ears, but it is just as much a part of our Christian faith as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The one who came from heaven's glory and lived among us, holy and righteous, and died upon a cross and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven will most assuredly one day come again. He will come, and we will see he will bring his judgment upon those who disbelieve, and he will vindicate his people, and he will establish his kingdom forever and forever. And he wants you and me to never forget it's happening. Behold, it's like he grabs us by the collar. Behold, don't miss it three times over. Behold, behold, yes or surely, amen. I am coming quickly. So let's get ready. Let's get ready. But secondly, let's patiently endure until the end. He says there in verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, there are so many ties to the first several verses of the book and now the last several verses of the book. And it opened up in chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. The beginning of the book, there's blessing to those who heed this message. At the end of the book, there's blessing to those who heed this message. John wants us to heed this message. And I think Guthrie is right in summing up what is the message of the book of Revelation in a phrase that seems to be patiently endured. Overcome. You heard that over and over again, to the one who overcomes, to the one who overcomes, to the one who overcomes, or some translate it conquer, to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers. The idea seems to be the one who trusts in Jesus Christ and patiently endures in faith in him. Patiently endure. Cling to Christ. It won't be easy. It's going to get hard. But heed the message patiently 
endure. And as we do that, surely let the message of the book shape our lives. One of the commentators used a fancy word. He called it the hortatory nature of the book of Revelation. Hortatory is a fancy word in grammar and in language. It's kind of, come on, let's do this. Let's persevere. Let's sit down. Let's visit. Let's, let's, let's. It's, it's got a hortatory nature to the book. The book of Revelation, we've said it a hundred times, haven't we, is not about filling our prophecy chart, but about forming our thinking and firing our heart and focusing our lives, our priorities and our concerns and our finances and the way we spend our time and energy, the way we speak to others about Jesus, the way we speak to ourselves about what is real and reliable overcoming the world's pull towards compromise and the like. Verse 7, blessed. This is the six of seven. We could have guessed how many of these there are in the book. There's seven of them, of these beatitudes, these promises of blessing. We'll come back to that. But the, the last of those is there in verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. But that's seemingly the clarion call of the book. He opens with it, heed the words, and he closes with it, heed the words of the prophecy of this book. And, and while we're there talking about this book, we see it there in verse 7, the prophecy of this book. I want to touch on a couple more verses down there in verse 10. The angel said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Don't seal it up. Don't keep it secret. I want my people to know about the truths of the book of Revelation. Now, Katie so kindly mentioned that I'm about to be 50 years old this week. And I've been ministry for a long, long time, but this is the first time I've ever preached through this book. I taught it one time in our men's Bible study, and it was terrible. You know why? Because guys could raise their hand. Y'all can't raise your hand, or if you do, I'm just going to ignore you, right? You teach a book through the book of Revelation when people can raise their hand, and it's just terrible, right? Because so often, I don't know. Mitch, don't you think it could be this? Well, sure, man. All that to say, I get why we want to stay away from it. But here Jesus, or the Lord, is telling us, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. It's the Word of God, and its message is profound, and so by God's grace, I've done my best, and may the Lord be pleased to take it and bear much fruit in your life and mine until that day. And then another one in verse 18 about this book. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Maybe that's why we stay away from it. We don't want to mess it up. Oh, I don't think it, it precludes us from teaching through it or preaching through it, but it certainly does humble us that we don't want to go beyond what's being revealed in this book. And, and, and maybe that's a warning for us to be careful with any bit of dogmatism we have on things that aren't so clear. To be careful with speculations that may go beyond what is revealed. And it certainly encourages us to be careful to resist the temptation to hold back, right? We don't want to add to it, but we don't want to hold back from it either, to take away from what the book teaches. You think about a doctrine like, and we've seen it over and over and over again, the lake of fire, eternal separation from God. Well, I think the rest of the passage maybe comes together to encourage us, strengthen our resolve to keep the words of this book, to patiently endure in faithfulness to Jesus until he comes. The first of these might be that every word of revelation is true. Verse 6, and he, the angel, said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Why should you and I patiently endure in faith, clinging to Jesus through the ups and downs until he calls us home or returns himself? Why should we heed the words of this book? It's because this book is true. Just as the Spirit of God worked in and through the prophets of old to give us the word, and just as the Spirit of God worked through the apostles like Paul and Peter to give us Romans and 1 Peter and Matthew to give us his gospel, so too the Spirit of God was at work in his apostle John as he saw these visions and then recorded them for his church. Every word here is true. It's from God, and it is authoritative for your life and mine. And Obviously, we don't always know how to interpret everything that's revealed here. And so we want to be humble and we want to be careful. But there's enough that's clear, enough to shape our lives day in and day out. And so let's hear it and let's believe it and let's heed it. Another reason, I think, 
that can strengthen your resolve and mine is that there's the promise of blessing. Again, there it is in verse 7. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Again, there's seven of these throughout the book. This is number six. Number seven is in verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. No doubt the blessing that is promised involves blessing right here and now. But as you read through the seven blessings throughout the book, it really does seem to be that what Jesus is promising is blessing in the life to come, in the age to come. So patiently endure. Keep the message of this book because Jesus will come and there will be blessing to enjoy. Keep following him. Fall down. Get back up. Keep following him. Get distracted. Repent and come back. Fall on your face. Get back up and keep following him. Keep clinging to him. Keep pressing on patiently enduring in faith, in trust, in obedience, in confession of sin, repentance from sin, over and over and over again, and keep doing it, and keep doing it, and keep doing it, and keep doing it. I was talking to one of the brothers in the foyer this morning, and he was, we were talking about climbing, climbing Mount Rainier, had hopes to climb the Grand Teton. He asked if I was going to climb it, and who knows? But this week, I was thinking about there, you know, forgive me, but, but there is blessing. When, when Ryan Backey and I climbed Mount Rainier, there's, there's blessing to be had to the one who keeps taking another step up the mountain. Not all the climbers on that team made it. Some of them stopped, and they went back down. But those who, who kept taking another step, when we got to the top, there was blessing to behold. Jesus promises to you and to me, if we will heed the message of this book, which seemingly is patiently endure. Keep taking one step after another, clinging to Christ. There is blessing to be enjoyed. We saw a glimmer of it last week as John described for us the new creation. The stunning beauty, the life-giving community, the eternal satisfaction, the beatific vision of God. We will see him face to face. Another truth that may strengthen our resolve to stay at it is that God is worthy of such. In verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. 
But the angel said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Worship him. He and he alone is worthy of worship, of devotion. Another Eternal destinies will soon be determined. Verse 10. He said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. It won't be long before Jesus comes. Verse 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. It's an interesting verse. I'll come back to it in a second. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus Think, seems to say that to, to remind us of the stature that he has to bring this sort of judgment. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices Lying. The time is near, the time of his coming and the time of his judgment. And there is blessing to be had for the saved. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. That's looking back to last week, this city with its gates, and inside is the tree of life. It's for those who wash their robes. Notice, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, it, it doesn't say, blessed are those who who kept their robes clean because none of us have. All of us are sinners. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The message of the Bible, the message of the New Testament, the message of the book of Revelation is that sinners can be clean. They can be cleansed. And that cleansing comes not by themselves scrubbing themselves down, but it's by turning in faith to Jesus Christ who died upon a cross to pay the penalty for their sins. So it says that they washed their robes but what that represents is the human response of turning to Christ for cleansing from sin. But then there are the unsaved. 
outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, the immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. These are the ones who were unclean themselves but refused to go to Christ to be cleansed. Don't be among that group. Mankind's only hope is Jesus Christ who came from heaven's glory to save sinners like all of us are. You must turn to him to be cleansed. Now, I think in that context, verse 11 may make a little bit more sense. I think the, the feeling is this, the sense of this is this. Christian, who is seeking to patiently endure and follow Jesus Christ in the midst of all of the hardships and temptations and the like, as you patiently endure, you may look around at at the unrighteous who are not following Christ. You may look at them and go, they aren't experiencing judgment. Life seems to be going great for them. And in that context, maybe it's, listen, you let them do their thing. You do yours. Because God is going to make it right in the end. It may have the idea, if you're familiar with Psalm 73, where Asaph is envious of the wicked because he is seeking to follow God, to trust God and trust the promises of God, to, to, to obey God. But he looks around, and the wicked, who are not looking to worship God, trust God, obey God, or anything of the sort, are doing just fine. And life seems to be great for them. For, for them. And Asaph is beginning to question whether or not his faithfulness to Jesus is the right path. Until he went into the sanctuary of the Lord and he, quote, saw their end. And it reminded him that there's going to be a day of judgment and God is going to make all things right. So Asaph, you stay the course. I don't know, maybe your kid comes home and says, hey, mom, dad, Mike, and Tom are cheating on the test and they're getting better grades than I am. And what would you say? Hey, you let Mike and Tom do their thing. Let them do their thing. You do yours. And it'll all get sorted out in the end. One more, maybe. Let's patiently endure because there's an urgency to this. I use that word urgent. One of the fellows I was reading this week noted or used the word urgent related to verse 16 and verse 17. 
Jesus, he said, was urgent to get this word out to the churches. He speaks again, Jesus does in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. It was Tom Schreiner, Southern Seminary. He said, these are urgent words. What are? The book of Revelation. These are urgent words of the risen Christ for all the churches. Jesus wanted to get these words to you and me. And he's the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He's reaching back into Isaiah and into the book of Numbers. Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament promise. He's the Messiah. He's the deliverer. He's the one who has all authority. He's the one who reigns. And he urgently wanted you and me to get this, these truths so that we might heed them. And in verse 17, not only is Jesus urgent, but the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take water of life without cost. Now, there's differences of opinion here and interpretation. In, verse seven, in the first part of verse 17, are, are they speaking to Jesus and calling upon Jesus to come, much like John clearly does down in verse 20. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Is that what's happening in verse 17, where the Spirit of God is saying to the Lord Jesus, come, and the bride of Christ, that's you and me, are saying to Jesus, come. And, and any, anyone who hears this saying, come, it could be that, and many believe it's that. Others believe, and I think I'm with them, that in verse 17, the Spirit and the bride, let the one who hears say, come, they are inviting others to come to Jesus. The Spirit says to any and all who will hear, come to Christ. The bride, you and I, we say to an unbelieving world, come to him. The one who hears says, come to Jesus. Because you can have the water of life without cost. If you're not a Christian, if you've never come to Jesus, you don't earn salvation. You don't have to climb any rungs, jump through any hoops. Christianity is not a religion of do. Do this and then do that and then do this and then do that and then cross your fingers hoping that you've done enough. That's the furthest thing from the message of Christianity. The, the message of Christianity is not a religion of do, it's a relationship of done. Jesus Christ has done it all for you. The life of obedience you should have lived and couldn't, he lived it for you. The death 
to the wrath of God you deserve, he died it for you. He lived for you, he died for you, and his heavenly father accepted it and raised him from the dead. And Jesus is alive, and he reigns from heaven, and he offers, here's the language, the water of life without cost. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to do anything. What you have to be, though, is thirsty. Let the one who wishes. We saw it last week. It's the the thirsty. In verse 20, chapter 21, verse 6, it is done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. So Jesus was urgent to get these truths to you and to me. And then Schreiner says, the urgency of the invitation is communicated by its threefold repetition. John pleads with his audience to come to Jesus before it is too late. So get ready. Behold, behold, yes, I am coming quickly. Patiently endure. It's the, it's the call of the book. And then finally, go with grace. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The last sentence of the book. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Last words are lasting words. These are not only the last words of the book of Revelation, they're the last words of the entire Bible. And I've pointed out to you all before, but it bears repeating because it's not just true of Paul's letters, but in all of Paul's letters, he begins the book with grace to you and he ends the book with grace be with you. He seemingly has the idea, as you read this book or as you hear this book read to you, grace to you. Jesus' strength and power to you as you hear the words of Romans, as you hear the words of Ephesians, as you hear the words of Galatians or 2 Timothy or whatever it might be, grace to you from the very beginning. And then in all of Paul's letters, as they come to a close, as you read the last words or hear them read, grace be with you. And John's book is no different. Way back in chapter 1, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you. And now, at the end of the book, the grace of the Lord Jesus be 
with you. You and I are going to need the grace of God. We cannot patiently endure in our own strength. We can't heed the words of this book in our own strength. We need the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. And seemingly, here's a promise right here that to his people, as we close this book and head off into our lives, the grace of God will go with us. John Piper speaking about grace in this context. God's power, provision, mercy, and wisdom, everything we need in order to do what he wants us to do in five minutes, five weeks, five months, five years, and 5,000 years from now. God will give grace to his people. Well, how do you close the book of Revelation? I'm not exactly sure. But here's the best thought that came to mind, and you'll have to forgive me. I thought about bringing up some pom-poms. One of, the, one of the greatest cheers, you hear it all the time, it's the simplest of cheers. Go, fight, win. Go, fight, win. As you and I close the book of Revelation from this study, let's go. Don't retreat. Go in the footsteps of Jesus into the world, shining his light through your life of love and sharing his glorious gospel with those in your life. So go. Fight. If we learned anything from the book of Revelation, it's not going to be easy. The Christian life is a fight. We live, to use the words of Paul, in this present evil age. There are forces arrayed against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They seek at every turn to sabotage our discipleship to Jesus. Resist, fight, pray, read, gather, sing, over and over and over and over again. Go, fight, win. To the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, to the one who patiently endures, there is a glorious day ahead, an eternal day of joy. Maybe the greatest news of all is that the book screams the message, Jesus wins. And those who are united to him, having been washed by him, strengthened by him, they will conquer. They will overcome. They will win. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all of your word and thank you for this book of Revelation. 
Thank you for your help to me over these months of preaching it, and thank you for my brothers and sisters here for their great patience with me. No doubt we have differed along the way on exactly how all of this plays out. But we trust that we are united on what is most clear. That our Lord Jesus Christ came for us, died for us, rose, and he sits at the Father's right hand now, reigning, ruling, loving, encouraging, challenging, calling upon his people, urging us to faithfulness and perseverance and endurance. And that it will not be easy. There are temptations to resist and there is persecution to endure. There is our flesh to put to death. And all of that daily. But Jesus is going to come again. How it all plays out exactly after that, we can differ. But what is sure and what is clear is that you will come again in victory and you will establish a kingdom that will have no end. And those who by grace have turned to your Son, the Lord Jesus, for forgiveness, the washing of away of their sins to follow him, they will spend eternity in the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, and they along with him will reign forever and forever. Those who have spurned him and turned away from him and said no to him will spend an eternity getting exactly what they asked for. So, Lord, would you help us, your people, to patiently endure until that day? And if there are any here who've never turned to Jesus for forgiveness and new life, that maybe right now in the quietness of their heart, they would turn to Jesus and talk to him, confessing their sins and asking him to forgive them and be the leader, the king of their life. Maybe right now, Lord, would you draw them to your son right now? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.